We've been on this journey the last six weeks of talking about being on a short-term missions trip. And today, as we wrap up those thoughts and trying to understand why we were here and how to live in such a way that we don't waste our lives, we have a chance to live each day to the fullest and to enjoy this day. It is possible, no matter where you're at, emotionally, physically, to trust in the Lord. And as Scripture says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. My hope is this, for you and for me, that we'll live in such a way that others see that. So no matter where we're at or where we're going or where we want to be, we'll take this place in life, this spot in life, and say, Lord, I'm going to enjoy this journey because I know what's ahead for me. And so we've been talking about that. We opened up this series with this verse. This is where this whole series stemmed from. And just listen to this from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says this, dear friends, or grace community, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So somehow as we live in this life called life on earth, we should live in such a way that others see our good deeds that the Lord helps us do, and they'll glorify him. This past weekend, last weekend, our son, our older son Josh and I, drove back what I would call my hometown, Hagerstown, Maryland. Had been the one-year anniversary of my dad's promotion. My dad had passed away a year ago last week. And so I wanted to honor my father. I think you should honor your mother and father even in their passing. So I wanted to go to his tombstone and just spend time there and to remember what my dad had left us. And so Josh and I drove, we made the trip, turned around about 48 hours, and we went to the gravesite and walked to the tomb. It was a great experience to share with our son, our older son, three generations of Brown. One had been promoted with the Lord. I was there, and then Josh was there also. We reflected on my dad's life and the good things that he left us and his, his incredible legacy of generosity, his incredible legacy of love. And so as we left that gravesite, we were reminded of, of Jim Brown Sr. and what he had left behind. That day, we also went to visit my mom, who has dementia, the early stages of Alzheimer's. She's in a home, and so we wanted to go see mom and grandma. So we made our way to the home where my mom has been for over a year. And as we came upon this facility, you have to ring a button, buzz a button to let you in, and a staff member comes. And so as we went to the the opening, signed in the book to go visit mom, a lady came and I said, we want to see Bev Anderson. We'd like to see Bev Anderson. Well, she said, she wants to see you too. And she said that she's got her bags packed and said someone's coming today to take her home. (laughs) My mom. And so she walked us back to her room and we went back to her room and she wasn't there. She was walking this facility, which she is known to do all hours of the day. My mom always loved taking walks. 
So Josh and I were in her room. We walked in her room. She wasn't there. And there was a bag packed on her bed. She had taken this plastic which would have been a trash bag, had taken the comforter from her bed, put some hairbrushes in there, some other trinkets, and she had it tied up. She was ready to go home. And so we waited. You're not certain exactly how mom will respond when you see her. And so the door opened and my mom walked in. And I said, hey, mom. She said, Jimmy. It was so good to have that conversation with her. And we sat in her room and we talked. I opened up my phone and went to YouTube and played some hymns and we sang some hymns together. And I told her how beautiful she was and thanked her for the life that she had given me. And Josh did the same. And we lived in that moment. There's something special about being able to live in a moment. She couldn't remember so much from the past and she probably wouldn't remember when we left. But she has learned to live in the moment. She has learned to enjoy that minute, that time that you have with her. While I was there, I noticed that her Bible was on the nightstand. And so I grabbed her Bible and I began to to work my way through it. And there was a card inside of her Bible. And I pulled out this card that she had bent four or five times and stuffed it in this envelope. And I realized that it was a card that my aunt, her sister, had sent to her. And so I opened it up just to see what it said. And on the inside of this card was this letter written to my mom from her sister. And she wrote these words, these words, and I'll share them with you today. And I read this to my mom by removing the first sentence. And it says this, Dear Bev, even though you probably won't understand This card, I will try anyway. We were challenged at church this month to send a note to someone who has made a spiritual impact in your life. You are the one that would not let me rest until I was saved. You were the one who loved me enough to call me every day to tell me I was going to hell. That's my mom. You were the one that wouldn't let up until I was saved. Thank you, dear sister, for loving me enough to tell me the truth and to meet me in heaven someday. I love you, Linda. I was encouraged by that and also challenged by that because I wonder how our siblings will remember us. I wonder if we love people enough to verbalize that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. And if they don't trust in Jesus Christ, then they'll end up far away from God in eternity in hell. So as I read that to my mom as we sat on the bed, tears ran down her face. And she says, you know what, Jimmy? I did tell her that. Because I love my sister. My hope is this, that we love others enough in this thing called life that we would be willing to love them so much that we would be insistent to do everything we can to let them know that there is a God that loves them 
and he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for them and that they can have an eternity on this side of life and eternity to come with him. But something happens in this thing called life. We can get distracted from the mission. And if we're not careful, we can spin our wheels here on earth and get caught up in things that really don't matter. A wise man, thousands of years ago, wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And in one of his chapters, he wrote this section that is a challenge, an affirmation, an encouragement for us to not get distracted, but to enjoy each day. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 6. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be ready to put one in your hand. And stand with me as we read Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. Would you stand with me as we read this together? Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. Let's read it. Ready? Read. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavenly on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place? Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life? During the few and meaningless days, they pass through like a shadow. Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? You may have a seat. Solomon is encouraging us to savor each day. To say, this could be our last. Let's enjoy this moment. Let's enjoy this day. We only get one chance on this short-term missions trip on earth. So we might as well enjoy it. I can honestly say, as I reflect over the 55 years of my life, that I've enjoyed my journey. And I pray that I will always choose to do so. It's a choice to enjoy your journey. I'm grateful, and you should be too, that God chose you, predestined you before the foundation of the world 
to be his son or daughter. That's an incredible gift from God. One that we shouldn't take for granted each day. But the truth is this. Being heavenly minded really inspires us to be more earthly good. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 2. Set your hearts and minds on things above, not on earthly things. We have to be careful that we aren't too heavenly minded, that we are not any earthly good. In other words, set our minds and hearts on things above. And if we are heavenly minded, it's impossible not to be heavenly minded and know what we have without being earthly good. But we have to be careful to always be focusing on that and miss the opportunity here. But Paul says this, he said it 2,000 years later, what Solomon is saying here, set your mind and your heart. Set means to place or put. In other words, each day, each second, each minute, put your mind and your heart in a place called home. And know that one day while you're physically here, that is your permanent resident forever. You are a resident and a resident of heaven. So daily, put your mind there. But don't stay there, live here. And it's impossible. It really is. To, to, to be heavenly minded without being earthly good. Let me explain. This is only temporary. So no matter what you're facing today, and you might say, yeah, but Jim, when I'm sick, you don't realize what I'm going through. Or when I'm frustrated, and I'm lonely, and I lost my job, and I'm divorced, and we lost our game yesterday. Like, you don't know what I do. It That should have nothing to do with you recognizing your position in Christ. And when we know where we're going, and who is our God, Anything that happens down here should never change our joy and our response to it because we know what's coming for us. The same is true. That's one of the reasons you'll hear me say over and over again, and I wish that you and every single person that comes to Grace Community Church at some point or regularly goes on a mission trip outside of this world, what I'd say outside of the United States. Because one of the things that happens when you're on a short-term missions trip is that you can be singularly focused on one thing. Serve other people. Love other people. Be there. Use your gifts. And each day you wake up and you're thinking, what can I do today to help them? What can I do today to be their hands and feet? And so whether it's four days, five days, one day, ten days, you are singularly focused. I love those mission trips because you're not distracted by the things of the world. That's why I say this. Listen to me, please. Fathers, mothers, singles, get out of this world. Jump on a short-term mission trip. Think about it. Some of you, you'll go to some extravagant vacation places. By the way, nothing wrong with that. Next time, invite Ann and I. We'll go with you. There's nothing wrong with that. But plan the same way for that as you do a missions trip. Go and live and experience a third world. What happens is you come back with a different perspective. Your lenses have been changed and you have a tendency to appreciate all that America offers you. That's why I say, send your kids. You want to help shape your children? 
Send them on the other side of the world. Not just send them, go with them and get on a short-term missions trip. And I'll pull away and say that if you don't have a passport, this is Pastor Jim talking to you, then you're not ready and prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. Listen to me. It's $200. How can we be prepared to give an answer if we're not passport ready? Be passport ready. That's part of the process of being ready and prepared to give an answer. Solomon then says this, be very careful while you're here. Look what he says in verse 1. He says, I've seen another evil under the sun. It weighs heavenly on, my man, on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. That's a choice of us. Riches, wealth, and honor do not automatically equate to happiness. Some of the wealthiest people I know are the most miserable people I know. Yet I know some people that are very wealthy because they understand that God has given them the ability to create that wealth and they use it for his good. You could have everything, everything, and still be miserable in doing so. So Solomon says this, don't let the possessions of things and the pursuit to go up cause you to lose sight for the reason you're here in the first place. It can be very easy to let this pursuit derail the mission on your life to seek and save lost people. True contentment, listen, is only found in Jesus alone because it's lasting. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You can't have a different version of Jesus six weeks from now or a month from now. Jesus' version is always the same. There's not a better version of Jesus. Once you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have him always. You have all of him. Wealth externally cannot bring joy internally. A different place, a different house, a different dress, a different car, a different vacation spot will not bring intrinsic happiness to you. Think about how that plays out in our lives. How often do we, after coming back from a vacation, maybe it's an adventurous vacation, we come back and say, what can we do next? Wonder what would be next. Instead of thinking, I can enjoy this, some of us, we have these elaborate plans and praise God for them. They're great. It's good to refresh and refuel. But some of us will return from that and think, now what can I do? Now let's find something bigger and better. Something that'll bring me more happiness. And so we're always on this pursuit for different. We're always on this pursuit that we think is better, that somehow that will bring us contentment and joy. These are wise words from a wise man. All this stuff, when not prioritized correctly and used for God's good, can become a major distraction from the mission. I wonder if we have left earthly pursuits get in the way of the mission. I wondered this week as I walked through the graveyard of my father, if all these people could come back just for a day. I wonder what would happen in our world, and I know this can't happen, but this is how my mind thinks. I wonder if, if cemeteries had a visitation day once a month. And people who had died at 1800s and the 1900s, and, and maybe, maybe each week it was a different era of time, and they were able to sit by their grave in a chair, and you were able to walk up to them, and they were able to say to you, and you could ask them anything you wanted. 
what would they say? What would they say after living on the other side? Some in hell, some in heaven. What might they say to us as human beings who are in this rat race trying to collect, trying to become, instead of accepting and enjoying? Solomon says that God grants some of these things, but he doesn't give us the ability the choice or cause us on our own to enjoy them. It's a choice for us. What might someone say that died a hundred years ago? I bet they would say if they were a Christ follower, listen, Jesus loves you. There is a God that loves you very much. Don't get so bent out of shape by disappointment. Don't get so bent out of shape about relationship. Don't get so bent out of shape over things that really don't matter. It's really good with Jesus in heaven. I bet the same story would come back and come back. And while you're at it, let me tell you something. Bring somebody with you to experience what I'm experiencing. There's no doubt. I appreciate Solomon's wisdom in verse 2 when he says, God is the one that grants us these things, but he doesn't grant us the ability to enjoy them. One person has said this truth. There are two tragedies in life. One is not to get your heart's desire, and the other is to get it. We must find our satisfaction regardless of whether we have or we don't have. If you lost everything, would Jesus still be enough, Solomon is saying. If you were willed a couple million dollars, suppose this afternoon you got a call from an attorney from a distant relative that you had no clue. And they said, by the way, you were just willed three million dollars. Would your joy change anymore? Would it be any different than what it was before you received that phone call? Listen to me. Money alone will not bring happiness and joy. It's either it is now or it isn't. And so we must be very careful to not let dreaming and planning for what is next rob us of the joy and contentment that can be found in the present day life that we live in. That's why it's hard. And listen to me, I'm talking to myself here. That's why it's hard for the most driven and vision-minded people. We must celebrate and enjoy the place that we're in. Don't let the pursuit of something bigger and better diminish the joy of this day. You see, we live in a culture. Here's Here's what the culture says. Listen to me. I live in it too. It says this, that happiness and joy are found in going up. We think that job promotion should always be up instead of realizing that where we're at now, where we serve, could be the absolute perfect spot for that person. I watch it happen all the time in sports. You'll see assistant coaches who are really good at what they do. Really exceptionally good at it. And in our world, and in in the arenas that we live in, says, well, if you're good here and you do a good job here, then we need to push you there. And you'll see guys who are really good exceptionally well do assistant jobs, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, special teams, whatever it is. 
And you'll see because they do exceptionally well there, they have this offense that can do amazing things. Say, the next best spot for you is head coach. Go to head coach positions and fail miserably. Because this is what God made them to do. And you can't find more joy here than you can there. I watch it happen all the time in the world. For instance, my father-in-law, who's brilliant, brilliant, one of the brightest men I know when it comes to engineering, agriculture engineer for Ford Tractor, retired from Ford Tractor and whatever conglomerate bought them, can figure and, and, and build and make. And sometimes I talk to him, I just, man, your mind is just unbelievable in detail. For many years, he was an engineer, which he was good, making, creating, fixing, figuring out. God had wired him that way. And, and I remember having a conversation with him and, and him sharing, you know, he said, I was good at that. And I really enjoy just nuts and bolts and putting stuff together and making. And so my employer saw that I was good. And so they promoted me to manager, supervisor over in engineers. And he said, you know what? I was miserable. Why? He said, because this is what I was made to do. And going up doesn't necessarily mean what was best for me. And so we live in a world where we must accept our place in life instead of wanting to climb. If, you see, what happens is that breeds discontentment. Isn't that why Satan fell? He wanted to be like God. Isn't that why Adam and Eve fell? They could be like God. Think about what Adam and Eve had. Come on now. Perfect garden, no bull thistle, no dandelions, no crabgrass. Think about, no, seriously, come on, from a dude's perspective, there's one woman and she's good. In fact, God says she's very good. And that wasn't enough? You want it more? You see, it started in the beginning. And there's just been incessant desire amongst Americans to climb the ladder with somehow thinking that will bring us more contentment. Let me show you what I mean. Ask Pastor John to help me out with this illustration. You see, we live in this world that says climb the ladder and you'll find more contentment. Thanks, John. And we think that somehow going up is better. And so we have this philosophy. Here's the philosophy that says, this is where I'm at. I'm on this rung, but I want to get to this rung. And if I get to that rung and that rung and that rung and that rung, it'll be better. So John, just keep climbing, brother. Like, and so we also have this. Well, if he has that, then I'm moving up. I'll be more, well, I'll be more content. We have this philosophy somehow, let the higher is better. If he's going up, I'm going up with him. And somehow we think that there'll be more contentment (laughs) if we go up. But the reality is this. The same Jesus is on every rung. Regardless if you're there, here, or you want to bring someone down here. Thanks, Pastor John. See, here's the problem. You'll hear me today, but you'll go and work tomorrow. You'll be envious of that position. You'll want more money. And so what happens is you're believing a lie that up will bring more contentment. 
if I can just get there. Now listen to me, sometimes God does. He's the one that grants power and position. Not based that he loves you more or loves you less, but he knows that's the best spot for you. And so you climb, this would be better. This would be better. And Solomon's saying, up is not necessarily better. And so we keep climbing. We think we'll find more happiness and more happiness until we get up here. And let me tell you, it's scary up here. But it doesn't make, listen, this spot is not better than that spot. If you believe so, then you're believing a lie. Jesus is as good here as he is here, 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 and here. He is. So Solomon reminds us of that truth. I mean, look at verse 3. He said, a man may have a hundred children and live many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial that he's no better off than someone who isn't born. Now, he's not making light of that. It's a very difficult thing to walk through. But what he's saying is, just because you have much and many won't make it better. You see, Solomon now reminds us that even children in the number of years on earth will not necessarily bring contentment. It can be absent of joy. He says that while some are granted life on this side of eternity, it doesn't necessarily equate to joy and happiness. Satisfaction is only found in Jesus Christ. Never anything outside of that. Maybe that's what we need to pray. Maybe we need to start praying, Dear Lord, I need to spend more time asking you to give me a spirit of contentment. This boyfriend in high school won't bring me more joy. This girlfriend in high school won't bring me more joy. Getting second place or first place or 10th place in this race won't bring me more joy. If I give my best and I finish 20th, I can find as much joy there as I can there. It's a choice that we make. In fact, if you've ever been to the top in your arena, when you get there, you might be surprised at the criticism that you receive. You might be surprised how you might think, let's go back down to the bottom. Because that spot in itself will not bring more joy. You see, family and children are a blessing, but the source of satisfaction is Jesus. And Solomon is saying, it can be more tragic to be granted life than not to enjoy the good things of this earth. So I was thinking this week, in light of our series and our messages, in this question, would people really want the Jesus they see in you? Now, just be really honest. Like, when people see you as a high school student, as a parent, as a single, as a mom, as a dad, when they look at your life, do they like that version of Jesus as a school teacher? As a single dad? Do, do they like that version of Jesus as a karate instructor? Do, 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 do they look and say, 
Or would they say, I don't want that Jesus. Maybe the very reason, maybe the very reason that people aren't coming to Christ after you experience time with them is because they don't want the Jesus that you're offering. And maybe the very reason they don't want that is because they see you in this game called Climb the Ladder. And they don't want any parts of that. And they wonder if your contentment really is in the place of life where you're at. You see, Solomon is saying, you can find joy if you choose to. It's not the years in life that brings us joy, but the life in the years that do. And then he says this in verse 7. Look what he says. He says, everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. He reminds us that if we're not careful, while we work to eat, one meal is not enough. Seriously, why do we work? We work to eat. But think about this. After you finish breakfast, for some of you, it's like 20 minutes later, you're thinking of what? About lunch. I'm hungry. So after you eat lunch, a couple hours later, what's for supper? It's like one meal's not enough. If you don't find contentment in the meal that you have, the next meal is going to be temporary too. We work to eat. It's, it, it's the picture of, of, of your child and, and our child, and maybe it's you. It's, it, you know, it, it's you going through McDonald's drive through and, and your child is so excited. I want a Happy Meal. Can I get a Happy Meal? Like somehow, they'll be happy. And so you hand it back to your child, and they open up, and they pull out that three-cent toy that's in there. And then they're disappointed if it's a girl's toy and they're a boy. And so while in the moment, they might be excited. Chicken nuggets and fries that, that look like fries 20 days later in the van. They haven't changed their look. And so they, they like them. And you're excited. Everyone's excited. And you know, they're, they're playing with their toy. You're the mom driving or dad driving. It's a good day. And one hour later, what happened oh yeah, to that hour ago? That one Happy Meal, that little toy, where's it at? It's stuck in the seat, isn't it? With all the jujubes and juicy fruit. And Solomon's saying, listen, life is temporary. Possessions are temporary. You won't find joy in that, but you'll find it in Jesus alone. A roving appetite is not satisfied with what is at hand. So then he says this in verse 8. He says, what advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whether poor or wise, there's no no ultimate satisfaction in life unless you enjoy it. And it's better to use what you have instead of yearning for more. Think about all the advancement in technology. Like, I think about all the advancement in technology in my 55 years of life. Seriously. I used to think the Jetsons were cool. I did. Like, the stuff that they had, now, I don't like Jetsons. Like, I've come to realize it's not the gadgets and the things that bring happiness. I mean, think about the, the advancement in technology, the advancement in cars. Like, oh, this car, like, 
Like, oh, I wish, wish I had that car. And, get, and then you want another car. Tools. Think about the advancement in tools. How about clothing? How about running shoes? How about kitchen appliances? Think how far we've come. How about coffee makers? You remember the Joe DiMaggio? It was the best thing since baked cookies, wasn't it? Or how about iPhone 3 and 4? And then I want 5. And then 6 has a little more. And then 6 plus. And then 7. And now there's, there's an 8. It's like, Like somehow that's going to bring more joy and contentment. Listen to me. The next step up doesn't offer more Jesus. And a thing and a possession will not bring you contentment alone. Let me give you an example. I like to hunt. And I was deer hunting this week. Bow season came in this month. And I have a blind at the back of our property. And I kill deer. Yes, I do. And we eat deer. Yes, we do. And it's very good. Yes, it is. And it's leaner than the burgers that you'll have this afternoon. And they kill the, the, the beef that you eat. Okay. So, I was hunting. And I was in my blind. And... I have a crossbow in my hand. And yes, I'm one of those dudes that has a crossbow. And I really like it. And so I was texting with one of my friends who was bow hunting also. And so we were communicating and, and he, he was sending me pictures and I had some deer around me. And, and then he sent me a picture of this big buck that he had on his trail camera. And, and I said, if you see him tonight, shoot him. He says, I don't know, because if I shoot him now, then I won't have one to shoot at in rifle season. I said, then I'll come over and shoot him now. <laughs> we laughed about it. But the point is this, like, and I understand it. I honestly do. Like, the best hunt would be hunt all week and kill with five minutes left. It's the same way. Like, somehow, if I can wait and, and delay this thing, it'll be more joy. Instead of saying... I'm killing it now, and it's gone on my wall. We have this mentality that, that, that somehow the joy is better down there instead of, we don't even know we're going to be here tomorrow. So enjoy the moment. And so Solomon says this in verse 10, whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. And no one can contend with someone who is stronger. He said this, no one or wise man has discovered, basically, something that Adam didn't already discover or added substantially to his findings. And in another place in this book, Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 1.9, there's nothing new under the sun. Are you beginning to see what Solomon is telling us today? Don't let the pursuit of knowledge, things, wealth, or whatever becomes the sole purpose for your life, distract you. The enemy is tricky too. And before you know it, you will become distracted with that new venture, that new vacation, that new home. That'll be better. 
Instead of saying, I'm going to sit right here and I'm going to be the best version of Jesus Christ until he calls me home. And I am going to enjoy it. That's what Solomon is saying. You have to be very careful because sometimes doing good and right things can cause you to miss the mission. Then he says this in verse 11. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? In other words, more arguing only leads to futility. Quit questioning God and submit to him, Solomon is saying. He's the wisest and he knows what is best. We are not capable of understanding the mind of God. Instead of questioning your life, hit the pause button and recognize that God is in control of your life. And better yet, instead of wanting more and better, find joy in Jesus in the day he has given you. Arguing with God is an exercise in futility. And here's how it goes. Why, God, can I have what they have? And why, God, do you have me here? And why, God, haven't you given me a husband or wife yet? And why, God, can I live there? And why, God, can I have that job? And why, God, I've been faithful. And how come? Here's what I know to be true. The moment we linger and question God is the moment we are telling God we know better. Are you kidding me? So Solomon wraps up in verse 12 by saying this. For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? Here's what he says. Life moves fast. Before you know it, I'll speak for me. The finish line is closer than the starting line. And you know what? I'm okay with that. You know why? just means I'm getting closer to seeing my Jesus, King Kings and Lord Lords. And he's good and he's really good. And every knee and every tongue will confess his name one day. And one day, because of his grace, I get to see King Jesus. And the older I get, the closer I get. The wisest thing we can do is let God be God and be grateful We do not have to do God's job. So think about these thoughts. We must learn to accept our fate and destiny in this life. What do I mean by that? Find joy in the journey. Why would God give more if we aren't joyful in our minds and less? Do you think God is going to say like, well, you know, you're kind of miserable and so... You really haven't accepted this place in life, so I'm going to give you more. Like, do you think that stepping up or going up, there's a better version of Jesus? (laughs) Do you think that somehow he'll offer more up here than he did down there? Do you think that somehow that if you have this or that, that that's going to bring you contentment more than it did down there? And Solomon is saying, listen, the same Jesus is on every step. Be content where you are. Wealth, possessions, and achievements will never bring lasting contentment. Only Jesus can. Okay, if you need examples. Give me an example, Pastor Jim. Well, let's go to Jesus. He went from the top rung 
of the ladder of ladders of ladders in heaven, and he sat on the throne. Worshipped daily by every angel to a feeding trough in his birth by a poor teenage mother to swinging a hammer for a living and ending his life homeless and then hanging on a cross. Yet he never lost his joy or his mission to seek and save the lost. Nor should we. Oh God, help us. We're selfish. We want to climb the ladder. We believe a lie. When the reality is this. You choose to give gifts, abilities, and talents. You distribute them. You give power. You place us in life where you think it's best for us. Help us to find joy in listening and following you in the good times and in the bad. In Jesus' name, amen.